Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gausbell. Well guys, uh, it's always nice to beat Iowa. I mean, I, I don't care how it is on the field, whether it's a, a high scoring shootout or a defensive slugfest. It's, uh, always nice to see a bunch of, uh, bunch of folks in black and gold walking morosely away from the stadium and just th- their tears are so, so sweet. They were delicious. I, I think it's funny. I think. Cardiac Cats membership is kind of like being a scuba diver. You have to go back into the pool at least once per year uh, <laughs> to, to be able to renew. And here is our first authentic true blue Cardiac Cats moment of the year. Um, and maybe, you know, from uh, on the whole, one of the closest contested games I think I've ever seen between Northwestern and another football team. Um, not on a play-by-play, but but kind of on the measure of the day toward the end. But I, I don't uh, know about that because this is the third time that Northwestern and Iowa have have finished the game seventeen ten in the Pat Fitzgerald era. Oh, that's and, true. And it I mean, also I mean, into like, overtime in twenty thirteen. That was the game where we fumbled while driving for the game-winning uh, field goal. And we played them relatively tight last yeah. season, even though it was a shootout. Um, no, yeah, I know. It's just like I'm I'm. You know, we can get into it, but I'm fascinated at the way this game played played out because I, I it's so rare that two teams are so close in a Northwestern football game where I honestly felt Iowa was the better team at the beginning of the game. Not like the better team in the game, like the better team overall. I felt Iowa was the better team in the first half, and I felt we were the better team by the end of the game. And it's just so rare to see that kind of narrative shift over the course of one football team, one football well, I, game. I, I want to ask you guys, um, as we dive into uh, talking about the game, um, I, I had two ways of looking at this game. Either this was a matchup of two really good defenses, uh, just playing their guts out and shutting down the other team's offenses, or this is a, a story of two inept offenses uh, just stumbling their way through the game. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue something slightly different. I think I think these are two defensive minded and in their heart of hearts conservative coaches who um, I think genuinely love this matchup. I mean, we'll we'll get into the details on this later, but I mean, Fitz may have played for overtime just because he wanted to keep playing against Kirk Ferentz. Like, I don't know about that. I, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek, but I think I think these two teams stylistically, like it, like it doesn't look the same in terms of scheme and uh, play calling and any of that. But in it, like, if you were to to lock Fitzgerald and and Ference in a room and listen to them talk about what they want their football teams to be, and you know, obscure their voices like in an FBI interview, I don't know that you'd be able to tell them apart. Like. In some ways, Fitzgerald has modeled himself off of Ference and that defensive-minded approach. And I think on the offensive side, you have two teams that have talent. Um, in the case of Iowa, are certainly young. And more importantly, both teams just have a lot of inconsistency. Um, I think, you know, John, you made the point that of, of which team was better in which half. I mean, in the first half, Clayton Thorson could not make a good decision to save his life whether it was on inside zone or mainly on read option. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Like which which receiver to throw to, how long to hold on to the ball. I mean, it was, it was arguably one of the worst halves that he's, that he's had that I've watched um, in, in the last two years. And I, it's, it was stunning to me that, that the score was seven, nothing at halftime. I mean, I felt like it could have been, you know, far, far, far worse. Um, and to the Cats' credit, they came out in the second half. They adjusted with the run game. I don't think they were prepared for Josie Jewell to be out. I don't think they, they knew that until the game kicked off. Uh, they adjusted their game plan. They got the running game more into the mix. And Thorson figured it out. He was getting the ball out. Um, he was uh, he, he was you know feeling the pressure better. 
And on the other side of the of the coin, you know, Nathan Stanley was was kind of up and down all game long. He'd have moments of brilliance, and then uh, spots where he just completely whiff uh, on the receivers. Sam, you mentioned the weather that might have had something to do with it. I also think that Akram Wadley just ran out of gas. You know, Iowa wanted to limit his touches to around like I think on the pregame they were saying like sixteen to twenty ish. Uh, he ended up running twenty six times, and it was hard yards. And, you know, with, with Butler, the guy that transferred from Nevada out with injury, they didn't have anybody to go to. And I think you, you could tell it on their last drive. He just he didn't have a lot left in the tank. Well, it's funny you talk about, I mean, talk about Wadley, who in person, I mean, we're all familiar with this, but Wadley's terrifying in person to watch. Especially for us. Yeah. The guy, the guy is just a slippery SOB, and he can fly. And... Iowa, especially at the start of this game when they were really moving the ball with him. I mean, that's the thing. Wadley's numbers were all front-loaded completely. I mean, it was just he they were, he was getting all his yards in the first half. He almost broke, I think, two and, you know, was in the second level several times. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. Akron Wadley strikes again. And then we just clamped down. And it's funny, you know, kind of going with what Scuzz said, but in answer to what you were talking about, Sammy, I think – um, Iowa's offense, by the measure of things, is better. Just because, obviously, I mean, Justin Jackson's a great running back and Akron Wadley's a great running back, but Iowa historically is better at getting Wadley his yards and using him effectively. Um, but the bottom line, I mean, our defense was just the better defense in this game. Our offense had some issues in the first half and they did a really good job shutting us down. But our defense is just better. And for all the Iowa people, and for anyone really, who's like, yeah, but Josie Jewell, probable Buckus winner, uh, did not play in this game, I don't want to hear it. Give me a flippin' break. Iowa's only points in the first half came because they burned... Alonzo Mayo, who basically has played zero football this season, over the top. And that's not the first time. You may have recall seeing it happen with Trey Williams and with Marcus McShepard because all of these guys are hurt and have no reps this season. And one of them, I mean, again, right, Mayo is probably our third-string cornerback at the start of this season before anybody gets hurt. But as things currently stand, from a playing perspective, in terms of like where he is, he's basically was a fifth-string cornerback. You're putting a guy out there uh, basically for necessity who played a little last week but has almost no reps this season. And, of course, Iowa went after him. I'm not saying we shouldn't have done it. I'm saying that's what we had to do. And I don't want to hear Iowa complaining about how they had to have a running back sit out because our <laughs> entire second – I mean, the, our linebacker, since our entire secondary has been absolutely shelled this season. With well, that well, to, glaring to, problem – no, I was just saying, with that one glaring problem, we're still just playing great defense out there. Well, to be fair, like the like we adjusted on D, like so what what it was third down, third and five, something like that, on the very first drive, Mayo, um, I think he had already whiffed on a tackle, maybe on on Akron Wadley at one point, um, or maybe that was a, a couple plays later, but we went to a, uh, we, we were playing, you know, we we tend to play two safeties back, right, and maybe we move them into like ten yards away from the line of scrimmage, and we're playing, you know, man with our with our back seven but we might be able to sh- we shift into a zone on occasion and play more of like kind of kind of a cover two uh shell quarters type approach but on you know third down and running situations where it's you know third and shortish we go into this single high safety man look where we put um and on this particular play we put press coverage on io's receivers and we got close to the line and we basically said we dare you uh nathan stanley to do something about this and Clearly, they were prepared for this because the first, like he took three steps back and just heaved a, a high fifty-fifty ball, and Damon easily just you know got off the line and, and avoided Mayo and, and made the catch, and and that honestly, I was perfectly fine with that because you didn't see that happen again the whole game. When we went back to that look later on, we didn't have quite the same press coverage. We backed the the uh, the cornerbacks up just enough, and. You know, I, I I felt like we adjusted on, on the defensive side. I mentioned before we adjusted at halftime. I thought, you know, from that perspective, from managing our personnel and whatnot, I thought this was a well coached game. Yeah, I mean, again, I I have no, 
I have no complaints on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the defensive line was having some pro- trouble with Wadley earlier, and then they totally figured it out. I mean, yeah. that's what I mean about the the ebb and flow of this game. Well, no, the the, def- li- the linebackers the, with like identifying the um, play action versus run, like they they did such a good job flowing to Wadley and shutting oh, him down. Absolutely, and and again. I'm going to keep beating this drum every week because people need to know how flipping good our defensive line is. It's really, really good. Gastown picked up two sacks this game. Samdup or Samdup picked up another TFL. Gaz is on pace right now. Three, if he gets three sacks in what will probably be six more games this season, he'll be exactly on pace to break uh, the still wet the ink is still wet on Afadi's sack record and Gaziano's already halfway there or on pace to be halfway there. So the D line is looking really good right now. And yeah, they stepped up against the run, so did the linebackers. Um the I think Brett Walsh and Mayo both had coverage errors. Um Walsh on fans touchdown pass was was well out of position. Um and on the final play the play that Fant dropped on basically the play was almost the exact same play. Walsh was started the started the play in a different position, but his coverage responsibility was the same. Walsh and Mayo both went into the center of the field to cover the tight end in a situation where Patty Fisher in basically there. I mean, I was only 10 yards out. Fisher obviously had the whole middle of the field. He was going to cover middle and deep third, which meant that Mayo had, you know, the, uh, the the side third responsibility and Walsh had the flat underneath that and both of them let Fant get wide open. But again, I mean, part of that's on Walsh, who, if you watch the, the, the play, was rightfully aggrieved at his own performance and was kind of like, I can't believe I screwed this play up. But Mayo, again, has no reps. So you've got to think, with, with one bum wheel out there, our defense was just phenomenal in this game. And... Akram Wadley is a guy who had some real success against, for example, Penn State's defense this season, uh, and we totally locked him down. I, I do have to talk a little bit about the Fant thing because they they got the, they they got that play to him that that stick pass to him um, probably four times during the game, and he caught it three times and then obviously dropped it on the on the last play. And sometimes you know against against man like Walsh completely whiffed a couple times they just dropped him right into the a, a perfect hole in the zone but going into that last play that fourth down play the effing color guy like Iowa is 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 walking up to the fourth down play and the effing color guy goes you know Noah fan has been open on that stick route all day long uh if he's on the if he's on the bottom side of the formation all by himself that's probably what they're doing here sure enough he was on the bottom we call timeout Coming out of the timeout, the announcers point out the exact same deal, that he's all on his own at the bottom. They completely called it. I'm a little miffed that Northwestern didn't talk about that more in whatever huddle they had during the timeout. Let's, but... cha- let's charitably say that oh, will man. be a point of emphasis this week. <laughs> I, I really hope because, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I was really impressed with Kelly Stufer, the, uh, the the color guy on this game. I thought he was spectacular. Just the the way he was describing uh, some of Iowa's bread and butter plays, he also referred to the zone blocking uh, run game uh, as being a a binky for Iowa, which um, nice. I really enjoyed. Uh, but I just, it was a really enjoyable uh, broadcast to listen to, which I often do not feel that way uh, with ESPN. Um, but the fact that they that they identified that in a heartbeat at the very end of the game, I was pretty impressed. Um, so I, I, I want to talk about the big elephant in the room, and that that's something that it kind of has been front of uh, mind for everyone. I know Fitz was asked about it several times uh, after the game, and that's uh, Northwestern's decision to kind of just sit on it the last minute and 30 uh, after Iowa had tied it up with the, with the field goal. Um, from my point of view, from my perspective, just – seeing the way the game had flowed and as strong as that wind was and how completely ineffective the cats were going into the wind and how far the cats would have had to go into the wind in order to get in range of Kubander uh, to potentially make a, make a kick. I don't mind the move to take it to overtime, take the wind out of it because you know both teams are going in the same direction. And I, I didn't hate, the play. I didn't hate the call. 
So I went through a progression of feelings on this, um, which happened in three stages. Uh, the first stage, and you guys should know basically that I, I first that I went to the um, Cincinnati SMU game on Saturday afternoon. It was a 4 p.m. kickoff, so I was I was at the tailgating, like I was wandering through the tailgating with with uh, the watch ESPN going on my phone, and at the time I was incensed that that I, and just incredulous that we were not trying to go for it, and that once again like playing for overtime, it just seemed absurd to not even give it a shot. And and you and you saw what happened. I mean, we we ran a play on first down and Jackson got like maybe 5 yards and we didn't even try. Like we immediately sat back. And and you can see on the uh, you know watching the game the other night, you can see Jackson is looking at the sidelines like circling his arm like like gesturing like give us a play, give us a play, give us a play. He was pissed. So I, I mean, I was I was just my head was exploding when I first saw it. Fast forward like four hours to the end of the SMU Cincinnati game. Cincinnati did the exact same thing. They got the ball back with about a minute. They had two timeouts. They were, you know, I think 65 yards away uh, from SMU's end zone, and they they just kneeled on it. They they did not, uh, or I guess they just ran, they just dive play right. They didn't make, they didn't make any attempt. I was. Given the way that game had played out, I was like, oh, well, all right, I don't love this, but I'm a lot less angry about it than I was about the Northwestern call earlier. Then I rewatched the game last night, and the prior series, if, if you recall how the how the last few series played out, um, Iowa hit uh, through, the, through the pick that J.R. Pace caught, and Northwestern got the ball back on, like, the 40-yard line, and we essentially went three and out, Um on the first down play of that drive, uh, Thorson tried to hit Macon Wilson over the middle of the field on a crossing route. And um, let me just mention that, that Iowa's cornerback Josh Jackson was spectacular all day long. Um, he was really, really good, and I was crazy impressed. And on this play, he he read it. He stepped in front of Wilson. If that pass hadn't been deflected at the line, Josh Jackson would have taken it the other way for six and we would all be having a very different conversation today. But lo and behold, an Iowa defender tipped it at the line and it hit the ground, uh, no problem. But if I'm the coaching staff and I see that, I'm th- there's no way I'm letting Thorson try to go 60 yards uh, in that last drive with a minute 40 into the wind the way he was. I, I think it's a different story if the if we had the wind at our back. But yeah, agreed. Totally yeah. agreed. And, and Thorson was so much better in the third quarter. That's, I mean, that's when we got our points for the most part. Um, it is when he looked a lot better uh, in terms of his accuracy and um, getting the ball out, et cetera. I think like going the other direction, I just, he wasn't comfortable. So I, I want to step in here and really um, heap some platitudes on the offense, especially the offensive line. They were and, excellent. And I'm going to – there's a couple reasons why, but I'm going to explain something. Um, down the stretch, um, the defense had something that even in the Maryland game, they really haven't had all season long unless you count Bowling Green, which I don't, which was time to rest. We may not have put a ton of points on the board, but finally the offense generated a bunch of long drives where the defense actually got to sit out. And you saw Gaziano, who was a flipping terror in this game. Um, you see like what a guy like that can do when he just gets to sit on the bench for a long period of time and get his wind back. Um, and right, it starts with the offensive line. And we should give credit where credit is due because the offensive line did very well against Maryland. And our kind of takeaway from that was, well, Maryland may just be really bad on defense, which they are. But... We kind of said coming into this game, I personally was like, look, I got kind of a bad feeling about this based on everything we've seen so far, but maybe we can see something where they kind of turn the page, and that's what we saw. And I know people might be looking at the game and thinking, yeah, the numbers don't back it up, but let me kind of throw this out there. Jeremy Larkin and Justin Jackson ran for 125 yards combined and averaged 3.9 yards a carry. Jackson's long was 11 and Larkin's long was seven. In other words, these two guys were basically getting four yards a carry. No less, no more. 
And that's a dream for Northwestern against a good defense. I mean, the difference between four yards and one yard or two yard, like we like what we saw against Wisconsin and against Penn State, is just immeasurable. It allows you to do so many different things. And I think if you look at like this better, not perfect narrative that's going on with the offensive line, there were several plays where we had a pull play going. Well, let's say two linemen were pulling on a run to, let's say, the left or the right. Let's say the left. So two linemen, let's say Doles and I guess like Butler, are pulling to the left. And for whatever reason, like let's say Hans got blown off the ball and that kind of limits the pull because you've got a, a you've got guards pulling who are like, oh, we can't really go anywhere. So they just kind of have to turn and engage someone. So right off the bat, it's an imperfect play. You'd love for Hans to blow his man off the ball. Both linemen come around the end and you've got a power sweep going. But what actually happens several times is you have an imperfect play, but by and large, most of the linemen are doing their jobs and doing them at, at a good level. So what happens is Jackson can see can do what he does so well, which is actually turn up field and be like, okay, this play's dead as it was supposed to be run. On the other hand, I've got like a yard of free space in front of me and cutback machine that that guy is. He can then take that and turn it into four or five yards going back the other way just because the crease is there for him to turn and navigate his way upfield back the other way. We haven't had that for a while because most of these guys were losing their assignments or getting blown off the ball, and there's nothing for Jackson to do. If he just gets, you know, runs into a lineman's butt right at the line of scrimmage, there's nothing for him to do. And that kind of thing makes such a huge difference because now you're talking about four yards, five yards on first down, and we just you can kind of grind it out. And I think my bottom line on this is based on this and our defense. Can we have a good running game down the stretch? I don't know. And I'd still lean to by whatever the conventional definition of a, of a good running game is to saying no. But can we have a better running game than the other team does? Looking at every other team we have left on our schedule, we definitely can do that. And we did it against Iowa, and I think we can do it against Michigan State. Well, I, I thought it was interesting in the first half. Like, we didn't even try to run Jackson that much. Um, I don't have the count, but my, my sense was that he did not have that many carries. What I noticed was a lot of Jackson in motion and a lot of passing routes. And it seemed like we were trying to scheme around the presence um, – not knowing that he wasn't going to play, of Josie Jewell. And once the second half hit and we knew that Jewell wasn't there, we, we shifted back to, to, I think, what a more normal Northwestern offense looks like with a lot of, of run-pass mix. I say normal like when we're doing things well. Um, because in, in, in the middle there, when we, you know, our touchdown drive, uh, the following drive with the field goal, actually, I think that following drive, we, we screwed up a fourth down. I can't quite remember, but the order of things, but regardless, like, I mean, we were running 12, 13 play drives, chewing up a ton of clock to your point, John, but also at times playing with pace. Um, you know, it wasn't quite a hurry up offense or, or, you know, the, the ultra speed that we've seen at times, but, um, we were, we were not giving Iowa the opportunity to substitute players, etc. And in that, in that space, Jackson was, uh, really effective and so was Larkin. So I, I mean, when we can get good decision-making from Thorson, fast decision-making, that was, to me, that was the difference between the first half and the second half that he was getting the ball out fast um, and, and not locking in on receivers, individual receivers quite as much. When we can get that Thorson, that sets up our run game extremely well and, or, or, and vice versa, right? They just play off one another. And that to me, if we can do that, if we could do that for a whole game, like you better believe we'd have good rushing stats at the end of that. And and you know the O line is not ever going to be a a strength in its current format, but it can certainly be serviceable. To your point, John, and you know they they were good in this game. They they only gave up three sacks. There was certainly some pressure, but Thorson had time uh, when he wasn't holding it too long to do what he needed to do. I might mention when was the last time we were out sacked and won a game. We only had we only got two. When's well? When's the last time that Clayton Thorson had a pretty mediocre game and the run game kind of bailed him out? <laughs> and again, I don't want to like heap tons of praise because again, 
Larkin and Jackson averaged 3.9 yards a carry. But again, Northwestern fans, four yards against a good defense. That's a win for sure. Um, I do want to interject one other thing. And only because I, this is, I'm just laughing looking at this. So, um, my parents are in town visiting right now and visiting our daughter and they were at the game right alongside Sammy and I, and, uh, my father, who is just in the other room, just put a note in front of me to make sure that we did something we haven't done yet. Um, and that is if this was a game that that was, you know, razor thin margins where it pivoted from Iowa being the better team to Northwestern being the better team. There is a play, a really easy to remember play at which that exact pivot happened. And it's the best play in a certain player's career. And we have not mentioned that play or that player yet. I think I was just about to go there. Um, go there. Go there, Sammy. Shout out to Hunter Nicelander. Who boy. 80-yard punt completely <laughs> flipping the field, uh, putting Iowa down on the three-yard line, and then the Cats' touchdown drive was on the ensuing drive after we got the ball back. Um, that is where you're going with it, right, John? To say that was a big play, I mean, oh boy. that was We were hemmed in, and then Hunter finally is like, yeah, how about an 81-yard punt? Would you be inter- Is that something you'd be interested in? We were like, yes, yes, I would, an 81-yard punt. Uh, and that was it. Iowa even got a first down on that drive, and they were still really hemmed in when they had to give the ball back. Well, and I think, John, t- to a point you made earlier of like our our defense having time to rest, et cetera, the, the drive after we scored that touchdown, I mean, this defense looked like they were on fire. Um, there were, I, th- I think they, they, I think they got a sack on, uh, on first down, took the running back down for a loss on second down, and then on third down, Nate Hall made the crazy like shoestring tackle on Wadley out in space, and I mean the defense was just jacked up, uh, and you could you could see how excited they were to be playing with with points on the board. You know what I mean? So you know that's I, I think sometimes that's the the unsung element um, in the the ebb and flow of a football game is how the offense and how the defense feed off of one another, and it's. It's crit- you, you can't go into a game and just rely on your defense. It's critical for those two units to uh, to interact and feed off of one another, even though they're not on the field at the same time. Let me throw a what if at you, and I, I do I do want to move on. Um, I always got the ball last drive of the game, uh, fourth and like an inch in field goal range. Wind at your back, you. If you get the if you get the first down, you have an opportunity to go and score a touchdown with no time left. You don't get the first down, that's pretty much all she wrote. They they were going to go for it before a timeout, after a timeout, all the way up until they fall started, got sent back, and then they had to kick the they had to kick the field goal to tie it up. What do you do in that situation? What at what point? Any of it. Like So so first of all, I wanna make the point because again, and this is me just grabbing the ladle once again to spoon more accolades, but nothing happens in a vacuum and that offensive line was scared of our defensive line by the end of that game. And those dudes were jumpy. And they were think because the the right tackle and the right guard on Iowa's line were like, I don't know if we're gonna get this yard and they jumped. So like that's the big thing on that. I think the like the D earned that false start. And then I don't I mean, he was once it becomes that point, I mean, you've got that massive tailwind. I think I would have probably kicked it too. Yeah, although, at, at, although, at fourth and six, sure. You know, you're you're not gonna go for it there, but fourth and one, I mean that that's a that's a gutsy call to it you know, to say, yeah, we, we know we can get this yard and and still have to go in and score the touchdown to win. Yeah, I I honestly, I, I kind of look at it the other way. I think up until that dude hit that 49-yard field goal, I don't think Iowa thought he was going to make that kick. I, I totally agree. It was a long kick, but he had the win. I, so, right, but I, I don't think they had confidence in him. I think they were pleasantly surprised when he hit that. <laughs> so Fitz and Ferentz went for it on nine fourth downs in this game. The wind had 100% of to do with oh, that. Oh, yeah, I, it I'm, was. I'm sure it did. Um 
at the same time, like you you go back in time to 2009. This was when Iowa was ranked, I, I think, number three in the country, maybe number seven, but they were top ten. Ricky Stanzi sacked in the end zone by Corey Wooten, sacked and injured. Um, we really ruined Iowa's season that day. It was another 17-10 to 10 game. There were 13 punts in that game that day, and I think two fourth down attempts. And and sure, the wind the wind was a big deal, but I think I think some of this is just just the evolution of it, and, we, and we've seen it right. Like in the beginning of the Fitz era, like we were begging for him to go for it on fourth downs, and now that's become a lot more routine. But I I, I mean they they were uncomfortable about their kicker even with the wind earlier in the game um, from from shorter distances. And he missed one right out the gate, right, on the first drive. So, yeah, but that, that, was, that was going into the wind. But, but I, I mean, if I'm – the one other factor is that if I'm Ference, Northwestern's offense doesn't scare me one iota. And in overtime, I'm either going to get to go second or I'm going to get to pick the wind. And I guess they both probably would have picked to to defend the same end zone regardless. Yeah. So no, the um, the, pl- the play was absolutely they were going to have the winds at their back. Yeah. Way. So, but I mean, like if if I'm him, I'm thinking I like my chances in OT, uh, just given how this game has played out, right? Um, but if that's the case, why aren't you just kicking on fourth and an inch? Yeah. Yeah. True. I I want to mention one final thing. I think just a big picture as we pivot off of this game, I was a pretty good team. And there, if you look at the rest of their schedule, I think we kind of talked about this as there was a really good chance that this was a battle for second best team in the big 10 West. And I I really think that that's what it might've ended up being. If you look at the rest of Iowa's schedule, I would, I think the sensible declaration would be that they finished seven and five. Um, They have, uh, you know, Minnesota this coming week who, Boy, the blooms off that rose a little bit. And, and speaking of bloom off the rose, on November 18th, they're hosting Purdue. Um, they get both of those games at home, and then they get to go to a Nebraska program at the end of the season that is, you know, I you know, I guess dumpster fires are probably like couch fires, so they probably burn a long way. But, but the dumpster fire may have even finally gone out by that point at Nebraska. It'll have been burning for so long. So... There's seven wins right there. Now, Ohio State and Wisconsin are Iowa's other two games, but Iowa's a decent football team, and we played them really hard and really tight and got a win that really matters for us. And I think, you know, we're in a really good position to stake a claim to the second-best team in our half of the conference right now. So pivoting to this weekend's game against Michigan State, um, you know, they, they come in ranked, what, 16 in the country? Uh, that is generous. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean sweet, sweet, sweet Jesus. Again, I feel like I said this last week, and I was like, I know. I don't want to come off as Mr. Sour Grapes because I called this team to be bad. But is any team going by the skin of their teeth more than Michigan State is right now? That that ranking is all based on a Michigan team that is anemic at best right now. That they and they beat, beat it and they beat in a monsoon. In a, mon- in a monsoon, right? And then they play and they've they've played one other good team. Granted, a great team, but Notre Dame spanked them, uh, and that was that was at home. So. They also beat Iowa seventeen ten, albeit in regulation. Right, right. <laughs> this feels a little wash, rinse, repeaty for us. <laughs> So, so what do you make it? I mean, what do you make of them at this point? You know, they have a, a at least on paper a pretty a pretty good defense. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I my whole narrative, and I'll be interested to see what you know what Scuzz has to say about their offense. But I kind of feel like we talked about the fact that their defense. So their defense is really playing up. This was the based on the talent Michigan State has on that defense. This was really a best case scenario situation for them. And I think if you look out there and you see real similarities between Michigan State's defense and our defense, that's because they have about the same amount of talent on both defenses, and both of them are playing good football right now. I mean, like, as as Michigan State's defense currently stands, it is cut from the same cloth as Northwestern's defense. Same level of recruits, same level of playing. Um, and and I do feel the the need to point out that, you know— 
Michigan Michigan State is six and one right now. They could easily be two and five right now. They are absolutely living by the skin of their teeth. And you know, I good on you know, good for Mark Antonio that that things have gone this way. But um, I I am not certainly no more scared of this team than I was of Iowa. They kind of just seem like the same thing to me. Yeah, I would agree. Although I don't, they're not as good. So it's it's a little tricky, right? Because we didn't play the Josie Jewell led Iowa defense. Michigan State's defense is not as good as that one. They might be as good as what we actually played on Saturday. And what's interesting on the other side, like Brian Lewerke has looked better than anticipated this year. He threw for three hundred and forty yards against Notre Dame, which is which is no mean trick. Although, um, you know, their defense hasn't quite been been shut down uh, this season. They gave up a lot of yards and points to Brandon Winbush, who was still he's loaded with talent, but he was still figuring it out back in the third week of the season. So, I I don't know. It's this is another one of those situations where they they've got this kind of resurgent pedigree where everyone thinks, oh hey, Michigan State's back. But I'll put it this way: I love the fact that it's at home. I love the fact that Northwestern is a one and a half point underdog, or at least was yesterday. And I love the fact that. And we didn't talk about it a minute ago, but this is a perfect place to bring it up. Justin Jackson has hit his stride in the last two games. And that's against one terrible defense and one good defense. And granted, he only put up, you know, 90-some yards against Iowa. But I thought he looked pretty darn good out there. And you don't have to look much farther than the friggin' 24-yard catch he had uh, at the end of the game that I don't know how they didn't review to see that he got in the end zone. But... um Regardless, like he he saved that game for Northwestern. He was uh, a stud throughout. The change of pace that Larkin brings, I, I, you know, we talked about John. You, you you surmised like that. You don't know that this running game is going to going to be good down the stretch for us. I think it is just going to get better for us down the stretch. I think we found ourselves. I think we've hit our stride, and um, I think JJ is going to be able to. You know, I'm not suggesting he's going to get 200 yards, but I really like how Northwestern is, is coming into frankly what we expected them to be six weeks ago. You know, like this, this is the Northwestern I thought I would see coming out the gate. We're, no, and no. it's, it's important that you mention that our offense is trending upward because Michigan state's offense is not trending upward. <laughs> this yeah, is a te- 17 this is a te- points against Indiana. This <laughs> is a team that has failed to score 20 points in four of their last five games and somehow won four of those games which is just mind-boggling, but um, Michi- Michigan State's there. If you look at their last defense, you should be looking at what Iowa did and what Michigan did and what Notre Dame did and be expecting our defense to do about the same thing. There's no reason you shouldn't expect that. That's right where our defense is playing. Um, so the question is, can this improved run game that Scuzz alluded to get us into the mid-20s in points? Because if it can, that ought to be enough. It's interesting kind of looking at uh, inside and use analysis um, of the Michigan State defense. You know, they're showing that Michigan State ranks fourth in the country in yards per game, third in defensive S&P plus, forced 11 turnovers. But they haven't played anyone. I mean, it's the same exactly. as Iowa. It's exactly. the same as Iowa. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not going to. It's it's, exa- it's literally the same conversation we had with Iowa last week. I'm not taking anything away from that defense, but I I feel like I know exactly what it is. Like I am I scared of it? No, I'm very respectful of it. It is a good defense um, that has through scrapping and clawing. I just feel like it's I'm staring in a mirror of what our defense is. So yeah, I'm very respectful of it, but I but this is I mean, put it this way, Michigan's been lucky to win their last four games. And they're even with all that, there's a really good chance that they lose to us and then get the crap kicked out of them by Penn State and Ohio State in back to back weeks. And then everyone's like, hey yeah, remember when Michigan State was ranked? That was funny. Like I it, they've had an amazing amount of luck to get to where they are, and they still would need an ungodly amount of luck to keep this going. And I just don't think they have that team. So yeah, I, I'm glad we get this one at home, just like I'm glad we got Iowa at home, because I feel like it's it's just the margins are going to be thin here. But like Scuzz said, I think 
were trending in the right direction at the right time to face this team. Michigan State, uh, two-and-a-half-point favorite, as uh, as ESPN has right now, as we're recording, over-under at 40.5. So they're expecting another very low-scoring slugfest. Um, it's going to be uh, much chillier this weekend. Uh, 47 degrees is what is forecasted. So if you're going to the game, make sure you bundle up. Uh, maybe bring something uh, waterproof. Uh, there's, you know, chances of some sprinkles. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to be getting any monsoons like we had, uh, for the Michigan, Michigan state game, but, uh, you know, the, the weather could become a factor, uh, not in, in a different way than last week. You know, the wind was everything last week and, you know, we could have some different weather, uh, impacts this weekend. I think the coaching staff will be happy to oblige Michigan state with a low scoring slugfest. Oh, Absolutely. And don't forget, for Michigan State, trap, trappy, trap, trap. Two, <laughs> two massive Big Ten East matchups for them uh, on the heels of this one. So this And this game matters to them, but the two games after this matter way, way more for whatever their hopes are in the Big Ten East. So, and they're hosting Penn State. You know that they've got that game circled. Exactly. Uh, so I, w- I want to kind of look around the – the rest of the conference uh, coming into this weekend's games. Um, you know, the the one game that everyone is talking about, and probably rightfully so, is the Penn State at Ohio State. Penn State coming off uh, an absolute drubbing of Michigan uh, last weekend at home. Um, Ohio State has not been, I mean, they haven't, no one's really been talking about them, and they've just been, winning games. I mean, they beat the crap out of Nebraska, but everyone's beating the crap out of Nebraska. Um, you know, have they played anyone of note since losing to Oklahoma? Nope. <laughs> I mean, in a word, right? Like I, you know, what's interesting. I mean, the big, the big question here is JT Barrett. Like he has been the only thing separating this Ohio state team from the one that won the national championship a few years ago in that, they have not been able to effectively throw downfield since 2013 or 14, whenever that was. They just they haven't been able to figure it out, uh, especially against decent defenses. That will be the most interesting aspect of this game because while Penn State has annihilated a bunch of teams, can you really say that they've played a great offense yet? Or a great quarterback yet? I mean, I don't think so. so yeah, no. I, you know, that like this... You know, you know, one of the other interesting things about the Buckeyes, too, Oklahoma's not a good defensive football team. And the Buckeyes are about to play three really good defenses in a row. So all this talk about, you know, the 60 points and the 56 against Rutgers and Maryland and Nebraska, whatever. We're going to see what they're made of now. Yeah, I mean it's it's true. I mean, like Oklahoma's a little bit different team now than they were at the beginning of the year, just with injuries and the like piling up. But I mean, I I don't know that this Penn State defense is the one to cause Ohio State problems, right? Like we didn't think much of it at the beginning of the year. They certainly did a number on Northwestern. Um, that's obviously true, but they don't they don't get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. At least they haven't most of the year. And again, like they haven't played a good offense. Pitt, Iowa, Indiana. I mean, we know Michigan doesn't have a good offense. So I, I mean, we know we don't have a great offense. Like this is this is the they haven't seen anything on this order offensively all year. And on top of it, this is probably the best defense that they, that they're facing. Um, now, granted, against Michigan, they were. Like everybody's been talking about Joe Moorhead and the play calling and the things that they they put into the playbook they hadn't shown all year. He's probably saved a couple wrinkles for this game as well. Um, I thought uh, I I listened to Stu Mandel and Bruce Feldman talking about this game on the Audible podcast earlier in the week, and they they brought up the fact that like doing this two weeks in a row is like a Herculean effort, right? Uh, to to take down Michigan and they go on the road to Ohio State and beat them as well. Um, that's just really really difficult to do. So. I, I tend to fall on the side of I think Ohio State is going to pull this out. I mean, beating them in the shoe is 
extremely difficult. We saw, obviously we saw Oklahoma do it um, six weeks ago or whatever that was four weeks ago, five. I think I have my, all my math earlier in the season, but earlier in the season. Thank you. Uh, But I just, I don't know. Something, something feels to me that, that like Penn state is, they're not favored, which is interesting. Um, Six and a half point dogs. Penn state is. Yeah. But here's the other thing that I know for a fact. James Franklin ain't as good a coach as Urban Meyer. And Urban's had two weeks to prepare. They were on bye. Last year, Penn State was on bye the week before the Ohio State game. So I think that's probably a big factor, too. Yeah, I kind of feel like Ohio State sort of reclaims their narrative here. But, I I mean, I think their offense is, has got to get it together. And, of course, like, yeah, they've been humming against these bad teams. But they're, they're let's see them do it against a good defense. One other thing I want to mention right now is – Michigan State right now, I do believe that they're a paper that they're a paper tiger. I think they're going to lose their next three games, starting with us, knock wood, um, and that would and, and eventually finish their conference season um, with three losses um, overall. That will definitely, based on the way I see things breaking out, Michigan is not going to finish better than fourth in the East this year. And if you think that's what the big, what the Ann Arbor faithful were expecting this season, uh, I think Michigan's staring at eight and four overall, and I think they're going to have four conference losses at the end of this season. And they're, uh, and it's Jim Harbaugh's seat is not going to be comfy. I don't know if I'll call it hot, but there, there's no way they fire him. But, um. The Indianapolis Colts head coach job is probably going to be open. We could the, could the, be open right now. We just don't. I mean, the Harbaugh Andrew Luck history is well documented. Ooh, and, and he, play, he played in Indy. And the thought process is that Indy is going to hold on to Pagano and just tank and have the first or second pick in the draft that they'll be able to flip for something. A lot of things, really. That's going to be an extremely coveted head coach job. And if they're willing to give him keys to uh, personnel control as well, which is what he really wanted uh, in San Francisco and then from Miami and other other teams he looked at. By the way, the other thing that's been keeping him from looking at AFC teams being his brother in Baltimore, his brother might get fired too. You could have two Harbaugh's coming to Indianapolis. Um, I just, Ooh, you I think, think they'd coach together? I think I think they won. why not. Yeah. Um, I just there's there's no chance in hell that Michigan's going to fire him because the like we all knew that coming into this year Michigan was on extremely thin ice given how young they were given that they don't have a quarterback. If there's any big indictment that you can lay on Harbaugh at this point in his tenure, it's that he has not been able to bring in and develop a quarterback at Michigan yet. That should be his his calling card, his hallmark. Um, the defense has been has been really good, but. With with Wilton Spade and now John O'Corn, like they just they can't get out of their own way, and they have all the talent in the world, but with the turnover this season, I mean, no no rational human being thought that Michigan was was really going to make a run at it this year, and there's no chance that they fire him. I I mean, I think he leaves them long before they they get to the point where they're ready to fire him. You're probably, I mean, and everything we've known about Jim Harbaugh suggests that that's the kind of move he would make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, mo- the moment he started sniffing those daisies, he'd be like, I'm out. What and what what year is this in, at Michigan for him? Three. Three. Or is this? Yeah. yeah. All Three. right. So he's got he's got yeah. one more before he goes, right? First things first, though, for Michigan, they have to hunker down and face the steaming Rutgers freight train that is barreling into town. <laughs> Rutgers in their two-game win streak? Oh, my gosh. But where are the Scarlet Knights? They are bearing down on Ann Arbor right now. Blood blood in the water for the Scarlet Knights. Hilarious. Although, I, I joke, but one of the things that I definitely... And, and Sam and I were joking about it to no end during our game, which is the bloom appears to be off the Jeff Brom Rose at this point. <laughs> That was that was a bad L for Purdue. Bad L against Rutgers, fourteen to twelve, uh, and uh, that's just one of those things that really leads me to you know again. I, I really feel like the the second tier in the Big Ten West right now is us and, and Iowa, which is why I think that win was so big. 
for for the record, I'm still terrified of Purdue. Um, but I think they, I think some of their depth issues are starting to rear their head, and um, it, it's it, you could maybe argue it's something that that Brom has has created, but the Sindelar, um, Blau. QB carousel is maybe also starting to take its toll from a leadership perspective. Um, those guys seem to be kind of be bouncing back in and out of games and in and out of the starter role. And I mean, it's been Sindelar the last couple games, but Blau played towards the end of the game against Rutgers. I'll also say, I told you guys Rutgers was going to be a little bit better this year. Um, predominantly on the offensive side, but like they, you know, they've got some stuff going on. I mean, they're, it's it's Illinois and Purdue in a game they won fourteen to twelve. <laughs> they have fair, they've scored fair. six they've scored sixty six points and given up a hundred and nineteen. I'm just saying right That's now that's better than last year. <laughs> yeah, hey, right now they're like we can build on this. We're doing it. Do it, Rutgers. Go into Michigan and hand Harbaugh that L. I think. Can, yeah. can I just make one one comment back on the Ohio State Penn State thing? Yeah, it's a travesty that game is at three thirty p.m. Well, you know, it's it's a Fox thing. I mean, Fox, you know, went out and got that game as part of the, their Big Ten bid, and the World Series is going on. So they have the World Series that night, so they can't – they couldn't do both. Oh, yeah. Newsflash, nobody effing cares about the World Series. Uh, <laughs> no one in this podcast and probably no one listening to this podcast, but, uh, I mean – there are many people who do care about the World Series. I... Would 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 anybody really mind? I mean, Texas doesn't really like whatever. Like, th- would anybody really mind if they just put that on like regional television? <laughs> I know that's crazy to say, um, and I know people do care, but uh, my God, this is this is arguably the the. I mean, can you think of another game with these kind of ramifications? Um, in the season, outside of I mean, like the the fact that it was a blowout doesn't erase all the buildup to Notre Dame USC. There was Oklahoma Ohio State, early, but that was so early in the season. Like, I, th- there's no game left on the Big Twelve schedule that's going to have this this type of magnitude. There's no game left on the ACC schedule. Um, maybe you could have a giant, you know, a giant SEC championship showdown with Alabama and Georgia. Outside I mean, of outside of that, like this, I mean, maybe uh, Notre Dame Miami could be pretty huge, but I mean, you're talking about one of the top five college football games of the season at this point. I, I mean, the winner almost certainly, I would think, goes to the playoff, probably alongside Wisconsin. But I, I think, yeah, the ramifications are are massive in this one. You mean the the Big Ten championship? No, I think the playoff. I think I so I'm I just. Wisconsin is either going to finish the season with one loss in the Big Ten Championship or zero losses and a Big Ten Championship win, and I just feel like either way, I think they're going. And you are crazy. I don't know, I, because we have the it's the best conference in football. I feel like people will think about that. And I, there's there's no way a one loss Wisconsin gets in, even 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 an, as Big an, Ten unde- champion, an undefeated Wisconsin though. Undefeated, oh, undefeated maybe. Wisconsin's going. Oh, undefeated yeah. Wisconsin's going. We have, it, but it, again, an undefeated, if, an undefeated Big Ten champion would be really hard to deny. But I, a one-loss Big Ten champion, I mean, again, stacked up against one-loss Notre Dame, one-loss well, Georgia, one-loss Clemson. No, oof. you're you're right. That's the oof. problem because I, you're right. I should have stopped and thought about that. The way Notre Dame's playing right now, they're going to play themselves into the playoff, and then it would probably then I think. Uh, well, I, you you know the Ohio State fan base is the only thing that's going to trump a one loss Notre Dame so for the playoff, right? So here, so here's the question: the scenario that I feel like is most likely sees a one loss defending national champion getting left out of the playoff. Do you think there's any situation <laughs> where that could happen? Because like, if Clemson wins out, I don't give a crap that Clemson won out. If Notre Dame wins out, and and uh, either Penn State or Wisconsin went out, those two teams are getting in. And I don't care what Clemson's resume is. Well, if, re- if, like, if, if Notre Dame wins out, that's wins over NC State oh, and Miami. Oh, if Notre Dame wins out, they're, they're going to walk in. Yeah, and, and, and their only loss being one point to Georgia, who oh. will probably be in as a one-loss. Right. I mean, if, I, if Georgia-Alabama is a close SEC championship game, I think they both get in. I mean, like, Georgia looks so good. But I mean, if it right, if it gets down to like undefeated Alabama, 
in. One loss, Georgia, to Alabama in SEC Championship, in. Big Ten champion, got to be in, especially if it's an undefeated team, which is a real possibility. Um, And that leaves, uh, if you have a one-loss Notre Dame wins out and a one-loss Clemson wins out, Notre Dame's resume would be way better than Clemson's resume. And uh, But that's just weird. Because can you imagine that? Like Clemson being the team that gets screwed the year after they won the national. I mean, Scuzz, I would... I would fly to Cincinnati just to film you watching Dabo as his team got left out of the playoff situation. Oh, man. Um, You know what he would probably do? He'd probably get himself on the broadcast panel for the flipping national championship game. Oh, he absolutely would. That would be the Dabo move. Right, that's true. uh, To make it all about him. But I just – I, I don't know that Wisconsin's strength of schedule, even as an undefeated team, warrants a playoff berth. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I, but it's I, the best I, conference I, in football, though. For not, sure, this not the not the West. Not Are the you West. kidding? And they don't yeah, play but, anybody but, from the East. That's the problem. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if people would take that much of a deep thought into it. Um, the committee as, sure does. Yeah, I guess maybe, but I mean, like, so you're going to go, like, ACC over that? I mean, like, who does Clemson play this year? Ugh, gross. I mean, like, NC State? Like, is that would that be Clemson's best win? Florida State's garbage this year. Did they um, play anybody non-con? I guess they they played Auburn. played Auburn. They beat Auburn for right, first but I mean, of the like, season. Auburn may not be ranked at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, no, I, don't, I mean, it's just there ain't a lot of competition. Wisconsin's <laughs> crossover games, just as a reminder – Michigan, Indiana, and Maryland, and they're they, non. They, they, they didn't know Michigan was going to be like this this year, though. right? Yeah. And their their non con was BYU, Florida Atlantic, and Utah State. I mean, this is but this is, is there, an epically can, horrible. Schedule. But can you ever imagine any year, not this year, any year ever, when an undefeated Big Ten champion doesn't get in? When every when yes. in, unless every other conference is undefeated in in 2015, when if Iowa had gone undefeated, I I don't know that they would have gotten in. Boy, I don't know. I just can't see. I just can't see it happening. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. This is this is. The I stuff think what's that, that I think what's far fun. more likely is that. Like if Wisconsin were to to match up against Ohio State or Penn State and beat them in the Big Ten championship game, I think what's far more likely is they they drop a weird game in one of their last three, hosting Iowa, hosting Michigan at Minnesota. That just there's a weird loss in there, and that effectively eliminates them. Because um, as a one loss team, I don't I don't see them standing up to to those other squads. At the same time, like Clemson could lose to NC State. NC State and Miami could could tangle in the ACC championship. Like you, I mean, you I, could conceivably have an undefeated Miami or or uh, is NC State still undefeated? No, they've got a loss. Yeah, they have one loss. But one team we really shouldn't sleep on is TCU. Maybe they're undefeated right now. If they if they win they out, they look pretty Michigan Statey week to week right now. Though <laughs> they went I, they went to Stillwater and beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, that game was a nail biter, but uh, but yeah, no, I know. Hey, real quick aside, you guys, do you guys happen to have the World Series on? No. Top of the top of the tenth, it was three three. L.A. Dodgers closer back to back solo jacks in the top of the of the tenth. top of the ninth top or no it's the top of the tenth now oh, but it was three they, it, they left did Jensen they do the in? same uh, he, he, oh, I gave up a, it, he gave up a solo home run at the top of the ninth as well is it the same guy I don't know yeah. I just I just have to turn it on so yeah he's getting lit up right now anyway sorry no it's did they leave Kenley Jensen in to get lit up wow. No, no, Fields. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jansen gave up the gave up the lead. He blew the save, and they brought someone else in. This Fields character. What are they showing? Oh, someone fan like rushed the field or something. That's interesting. Boy, ouch. Um, okay, sorry. Anyway, um, all right. So I, I just have one kind of final yeah, yeah. point to make, and then I think we. We wrap it up. Uh, so, real quick, um, just kind of bringing it back to this weekend's uh, 
Big Ten slate. And yeah, there, there's a lot of, uh, playoff talk that still is yet to come. We'll know more. I, I it's like a week or two away before we get the first, uh, the first playoff rankings, uh, from the actual committee. Um, Real quick, the rest of the, the Big Ten, you've got Nebraska at Purdue. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, Purdue's Min- a six-point favorite. <laughs> that, yeah, Nebraska. Can you, Purdue, the week after they lost to Rutgers, is a six-point favorite against Nebraska. If that tells you anything you need to know about Nebraska, I don't know what does. Uh, Minnesota at Iowa. Um, Iowa's seven-point favorite there. Indiana at Maryland. Um Indiana is favored by four and a half. Uh, we talked about Rutgers at Michigan. The the one number I want to mention in the in this Wisconsin at Illinois game is fourteen million, which is the buyout of Lovey Smith's contract. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say about the What did you say about the Colts? You think the Colts need a defensive coordinator too? It's all coming together. I don't think they can afford to buy out <laughs> Yeah, we, they would. Illinois they would need some aff- Gary Anderson like charity to get out of that. Yeah, they they can't afford to fire Lovey, and and are pay... they still paying the bank manager? Probably. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. The only certainty Illinois is easily the worst team in the Big Ten right now. It's not close. Uh, Rutgers is significantly better than Illinois right now. Uh. It's it's the Illini all alone, and I, I don't think even Illinois people thought that was going to happen. I thought that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh, well, I I think we should probably leave it there uh, for this week. Um, we'll you know we're getting closer and closer to, to hoop season, and just a couple of weeks away from the start of that. So we'll. Uh, be talking a little bit more NU basketball uh, coming off the NCAA tournament run. Um, but uh, I think for tonight, we'll leave it there and uh, continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So after disparaging interest in the World Series, my final thought will be about baseball. <laughs> uh, I, I forgot to mention this on either last week or, or the week before, um, but uh, after, for those who were paying attention when the when uh, to the Cubs Nationals series in the NLDS, um, Game 7 was absurd as far as baseball games go. Um, you had uh, swinging third strikes that got dropped by the catcher that resulted in guys getting on base and balls going into left field and runners scoring. You had... Um, a guy hit the, that I think drove in a run. He got walked, drove in a run. Like just like it was a very weird, crazy back and forth game where both teams hit around at one point in in one inning. Um, lots of madness, and ultimately, uh, I think it was very appropriate and very karmic for the Cubs to eliminate Dusty Baker in a ridiculous game seven. Uh, well, it was really game five, um, but in, in a ridiculous elimination game. Um, some of the last that addresses some of the last ghosts from uh, 2003 and 2004 for me and um, kind of bringing it all f- full circle the the Nationals fired Dusty Baker uh, at, at you know this this past week and after you know his two seasons of which he won his division title both seasons but then lost uh, in in the first round of the playoffs if that sounds familiar to anybody um, in either Cincinnati or Chicago uh, it, it really should. So just, you know, uh, a, a, a nice little karmic gift for me after the, um, the dark days of 2003 and 2004 living in Wrigleyville and, uh, bummed that the, you know, the Cubs season ended against, ended against the Dodgers, but, uh, certainly has been fun to, to dip my toe back in those waters during the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Um, shifting it back to college football, one game that we didn't talk about, uh, looking ahead to this week that is kind of a, a huge game maybe the biggest home game in Iowa State football history this weekend um the Iowa State Cyclones are flipping ranked they're the number 25 team in the country 
with three wins in a row. They beat the Tar out of Kansas and Texas Tech, and they beat Oklahoma three weeks ago. And now they're hosting TCU, who granted is a big favorite. But if Iowa State wins this game at home, they're the base, they're the leader in the conference. There'd be a massive logjam at the top of the conference, but Iowa State would hold tiebreakers over Oklahoma and TCU. Um, they got a long way to go to get there, but this is one of this is maybe the best Iowa State team of probably the past twenty years, at least since the Troy Davis years. And Iowa beat them, and we beat Iowa. So put a ribbon on that. So, uh, somebody's gonna try to hire Matt Campbell away this. Uh, oh, absolutely! Oh, yes. this winner, me thinks. Uh, so for my final thought, I do want to bring it to little hoops. Um, I teased it a little earlier, uh, teased it a little bit more. Uh, going into this uh, um, this preseason, Northwestern ranked number 20 in the coaches poll and 18 in Ken Palm's rankings, uh, which is just weird. It's rarefied air. We've never been ranked that high in Ken Palm ever. And, uh, you know, even last year we finished at, I think 38 or so, but, uh, for us to open the year ranked in the coaches poll ranked in Ken Palm, uh, that just speaks so well of, of where the expectations are for this team this year. Obviously injuries could change a lot. We'll talk more about, uh, the depth of this team, you know, the, the highlights of this team, uh, I think, in weeks to come. But uh, th- this could be a, a another real fun year uh, for Wildcat basketball. And uh, just you're going to need to go out to Rosemont to watch them play. John, I know that's much better for you, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I'll definitely be taking CeCe to a couple games. We're going to get that experience in. That's like 10-minute drive for me. It- it'll be interesting to see what the atmosphere is there is like uh with probably a very limited student section yeah word is they're going to be busing students and all that sort of or you know whomever but um it's yeah. it's, it's 45 minutes each way man it feels like a weird it's, it feels it's, yeah it's I'm, gonna be I, weird i don't want to be negative but man i'm having flashbacks to a lot of seasons where northwestern football was ranked in this in the preseason based on last year's results and i'm just Oh, I'm just a little just, terrified. Just remember, every Chicago area recruit we bring to a to a home Northwestern game next year, we can be like, "Don't forget, this is how it is at DePaul every year." <laughs> well, except DePaul is opening their new palace of an arena that the city built for them this year. Yeah, whatever. That, that's a that's a whole other. I don't want to go off for another hour on the ridiculousness of DePaul's basketball stadium nonsense BS. Whatever. They're an afterthought right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave your comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at westlotpirates. You can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. And give us a call on our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousbar, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.